The fury of the virus illustrates the folly of war. It is time to put armed conflict on lockdown and focus together on the true fight of our lives. Dear listener, we find ourselves amidst a true global crisis. Our interconnectivity is more apparent than ever. Nothing seems what it once was. Now is the time to radically realize a world which holds violence and conflict and stops excluding women and youth. As Chris continues to breathe, peace builders worldwide continue to work on a more peaceful world for tomorrow. This season is all about the peace builders making this needed change possible. Listen to their inspiring stories and reimagine this new reality with us. Welcome to the Peace Corner podcast, brought to you by GPAC, UNOI Peace Builders, CSPPS, and Pass Peace. Welcome uh, to another episode of the Peace Corner podcast. Today, we are going to dive into the topic, Building Spaces for Change in Mexico. I am very happy to welcome our colleagues, Daniel Antonio Martin, Sustainable Development Director, and Maria Francisca Garces, Senior Program Officer from Centro de Colaboración Cívica, a nonpartisan, nonprofit civil association specializing in collaborative negotiation, mediation, dialogue facilitation, and consensus building based in Mexico. Thank you very much for your joining us today. For starters, I would like to tell us what motivated you to become Peace Builders. Tell us what is your story. Well, uh, first of all, I'd like to thank you for having us. It's very, it, it's actually kind of embarrassing for me to say this because I didn't conceive myself as a Peace Builder at first. But um, the thing is, here at CCC, we have to, uh, as as we under, we must understand that peace is not only the absence of war. That's a very common misconception, right? That peace is just not having war or not having an open armed conflict in your country. But here at CCC, we have come to understand that peace is way much more than that. Peace has to do with human security, with environmental, uh, well, with sustainable development. It has to do with so much more than just weapons and uh, soldiers not being in the streets. So um, here at CCC, we understand peace as that, as a much more broader concept. And that's how I came to be uh, to be a peace builder. It was not because I chose it, because um, I, I studied international relations and I did understand peace as, well, peace building as that which is done via the blue helmets, the blue barrettes, the United Nations intervening in whatnot. But I came to understand that peace building has to do much more with conflict transformation. So um, I became a peace builder because I was so passionate about the environment that I got to CCC and we started a series of dialogues around clean energy, renewable energy, because here in Mexico, renewable energy was sparking conflict about five, six years ago in a community called San Mateo del Mar in Oaxaca. People was wondering, well, you know, if renewable energy is so good and why is it sparking conflict? And that's when I came to realize, well, you know, if there's conflict, then peace must be brought to the area. And we started opening a series of dialogues about what was at the core of the conflict, what is it that interested the parties. And um, that's pretty much my story. It had, I, I'm sorry it's not as inspiring, but um, it had to do a lot more with 
how I understood peace building. Uh, I don't know, maybe, uh, Fran, you have a different story since you come from another background? Ah, uh, yes. Thank you, Danny. Well, in my case, my story is um, a little bit different because um, I was born and raised in Colombia in a family affected by armed conflict. I grew up with many privilege, but also I grew up with a lot of fear and anger. However, since I can remember, I always felt and knew that a peaceful Colombian society was possible. I have like this service vocation. So when I started my professional life, I had the opportunity uh, to work in different projects with vulnerable groups. And that allowed me to get to know this other Colombian, this forgotten Colombian, other realities, very different from mine. And also I get to know a very resilient society. So working in Colombia, well, I understood that wanting to serve the community and wanting to build peace was not enough. So um, that's how I, I came to Mexico. I started studying here in conflict and negotiation. And that's how I met CCC. And I fell in love with its work. And yeah, and that's how in the, I've been here for working for CCC uh, for two years. And here we create spaces for dialogue and peace building. So that's my story. Daniela, Francisca, thank you very much. I actually, I believe that both of you have inspiring and interesting stories. Also both having considerable experience in the area. I am also Colombian, so I can very much relate to your personal story, Francisca. So thank you very much for sharing. Also, I think that in both cases, like this path of peace building was quite natural, almost as, as if life itself was leading you down this path in two different countries, in Mexico and in Colombia, but uh, two, con two countries with similar challenges and traditional historical violent conflicts. So since both of you have, have ex expertise and have been building peace and civility through dialogue and mediation and in view of recent developments and news where Across the globe, we have been seeing protests, civic, mo civic mobilizations around the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, focusing on Mexico, can you give us an insight into these protests, the motivations behind them, and the general feeling of those involved? Here in Mexico, there has been some protests by anti-racist groups uh, in solidarity to the protest in the U.S. over the death in police custody of George Floyd and also over the death of um, Giovanni Lopez in uh, Jalisco. So photos of the two men side by side have circulated on Twitter along with the phrase also like Giovanni didn't die, the police killed him. And I think it has, it has been very interesting because these incidents have pushed to open a taboo discussion about uh, racism here in Mexico. It's very interesting because here in Mexico, racism isn't a national issue because many Mexicans actually don't believe there is racism here. And this is because there is this myth of mestizaje. 
and is that the country shares the same mixed racial heritage. So therefore, they say is they say it's very unlikely for racial prejudice to motivate discrimination, and that is really like uh, really crazy, no? So they say there's not racism in Mexico, but it's more like a classism. And this idea is actually very internalized in, in Mexican uh, society, even though racism is very evident in Mexico. Also, um, Afro-descendant community in Mexico is often um, ignored. In fact, it was only this year that the national census offered respondents the option to self-identify as Afro-Mexican. So, um, well, Racism here is, um, like I said, is really evident. And socio-political and socio-economic outcomes in Mexico indeed correlate to skin tone. So, um, well, this global anti-racist movement uh, has triggered here the conversation in Mexico and has started to break this racism taboo. And we have to start like um, the, uh, talking about how to address systematic racism and what to do about it. So it has been, yeah, really uh, interesting um, situation that is happening here in Mexico. Thank you, Francisca. Actually, yes, it's a very fitting analysis for this special situation we are currently experiencing. I think it's an important observation that you say that the Black Lives Matter movement was like a trigger for mobilizations for racism in other and varied contexts, like in Mexico, where people in many occasions don't even realize that racism is part of their society and their system, but also is a broader range of causes of citizen dissatisfaction or classism problems, like you say, according to the country and its context. So I don't know if Daniel has something to add or bearing this in mind, I would like you to tell us a bit how does Centro de Colaboración Cívica harness this proactive citizen's action for positive changes? Mm, I'd like to go straight to that question because I think Fran's analysis was just uh, excellent. So I'll just go to, to your question on how we, we harness this, uh, this action. Um, well, one of the values that lies at the core of uh, Centro de Colaboración Cívica is uh, citizen engagement and participation. And this means, of course, listening to everyone, listening to all the voices, listening to all the parties that are around a conflict. And especially in the area that I, the, that I lead, uh, sustainable development, there's, there has been a lot of conflict uh, around mega projects, for instance. Say, call it mining, call it uh, wind farms, solar solar farms but the thing is always 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 you can find racism present classism as well the most vulnerable are always also the most excluded from the decision-making processes when we talk about racism in mexico indigenous communities have been traditionally and without a saying in it they have been assigned the role of taking care of nature and therefore they have no right to claim for their own development. So what we have done and how we harness it is we open, as Francisca said at the beginning, we open spaces, safe spaces in which they can 
actively express their voice and raise their concerns and make them make the public aware that they exist and they have a voice. And we have open spaces in which we have invited indigenous communities uh, so they can be heard. We have uh, invited them to Mexico City uh, so they can voice their concerns in front of a very different audience which is not familiar with listening to them. So uh, that's what we have traditionally done. And especially right now, we have been focusing on giving voice not only to those excluded because of their, their skin tone, their skin color, uh, which is horrible, but uh, we have also opened a space for those who are vulnerable because of what they do. And I'm talking about the scavengers or waste uh, pickers which we call pepenadores because we have uh, we have had the opportunity to open um, a project for um, to talk about uh, recycling and the thing is these uh, these people will, who are in the very at the very base of the recycling process because they actually select and se uh, separate all the the waste products that can be recycled, they are invisible. I, and I mean it literally invisible, not only for big business, but also to the people in general, to the society in general. It's like they did not exist. They do not exist, but they do and they play a crucial role in sustaining the um, urban development in the, in the city. I mean, uh, and w we have opened spaces in which they can voice their concerns. They have say, hey, we exist, we play a crucial role, and this is what we do. And I think that goes hand in hand with, with racism and classism, as, as Fran said. And uh, in CCC, since we believe that everyone deserves to be heard, everyone has a voice, that's what we, that's what we do. So it can turn into positive changes and any decision that is taken around public policy goes with their voices because uh, we always say that it's time to listen to them instead of talk about them. That is uh, very true and it's a very interesting perspective, Daniel, because yes, r racism is very much attached to other systemic and traditional discriminated and vulnerable parts of society. Society, as you say, indigenous communities, waste speakers, so open spaces. What you do in Centro de Colaboración Cívica by broadening their platforms and that they can express their ideas and thoughts, it's a very valuable work. And I believe that this, this opportunity, like this momentum that we're living now, in which citizens are reacting and are active in the construction of the decisions that affect them, must not be overlooked. And if properly addressed, this has all the potential to refresh the democracy and to really make it more inclusive, as you, as you were saying. So to this effect, let me ask you, in what way has the pandemic been impacting peace building in Mexico? So what are the challenges and what are the opportunities for building civic space? Okay, I'm gonna respond that question. It has, pandemic has impacted peace building in Mexico in many ways. I think the first is um, the change of priorities of the public agenda. Of course, now the spotlight is in public health and the economy. So for us, trying to maintain relevant other important issues has been very difficult. Also, advocacy has become more difficult. And 
the challenge to be heard in policymaking offices has become, of course, harder. No? Also, many uh, civic spaces are being closed. So that's one way. Another is the financial support and attention from the um, international donors because their priorities have shifted to the COVID-19 response. And local peace builders with other agendas are struggling to sustain their work. Another way is, I think, it can be the increase that the um, vulnerability of um, minority groups is increasing. For example, these vulnerable groups, of course, have limited access to sanitation facilities and healthcare services. So this is making them more uh, vulnerable to COVID-19. Also, uh, this population is being directly uh, affected by the increase of poverty, unemployment, and discrimination. In many cases, they don't have the option to stay in lockdown because they depend on, the, on their daily income to feed their families. So also for that, they are being discriminated. And inequality here in Mexico, as in many other places in the world, is being exacerbating. Another point is that due to the lockdown, some public institutions remain closed or are slower in their responses. So access to justice is limited and even more difficult. And this is putting in more danger, danger the already vulnerable groups such as um, women in the context of the increase in domestic violence during the pandemic. Another thing that I see is that the projects and operations of different peacebuilding organizations such as CCC have been limited or stopped due to the travel restriction and the social, well, and the social distancing measure. So this has been uh, making harder the accompaniment we do in local processes. But of course, there are, there are also a lot of opportunities in this, um, in this new situation. <laughs> and for example, this has forced us to, um, to stop our, our project or, or in the way we were carrying them up and to start open other spaces of dialogue with other civil societies organization and we have started to think collectively on how to transform our, our, our way of building and maintaining peace. So we have started, uh, for example, uh, imagining or creating new civic spaces where, despite the, this lockdown, all the voices can participate and can be heard. And in many cases, this has become an opportunity to increase our local impact. Uh, and also it has become an opportunity to strengthen the networks we are part of and to start like, I can say like innovating in new peace building technologies. Francisca, that was a very comprehensive answer. Thank you very much. I think it's very clear and I think that it's true that besides these evident problems, like you say, shrinking spaces, advocacy and funding uh, difficulties, and the uh, not very natural deepening, deepening of grassroots problems and exacerbating inequalities, or and also that, like you were saying, posing excessive difficulties to access to justice. I see that there are very very natural problems that are uh, visible now with with this pandemic. But I also like how you also seek the bright side and and analyze the equally significant opportunities resulting from every crisis and starting to 
to work to open other new civic spaces and strengthen your network despite the lockdown and the natural challenges. So in this same line, I would like someone of you to tell us then a bit, how are you addressing the challenges posed by the COVID-19 outbreak and generating positive action? Can you give specific examples? Sure. First, I'd like to say that uh, just like Francisca said, this has impacted us all. So, uh, well, at, at least in within the team, in CCC, we have opened spaces for um, self-care because if you're not, you know, if you're not right, then how can you help anyone, anyone else? So um, we have opened practices for uh, virtual uh, classes for yoga, or uh, we have established uh, peace, dia- peace circles or well cir- dialogues in circles so we so the team can voice out what they're living and what worries everyone so we have come to to actually start working on uh, on ourselves and uh, taking this as an opportunity to uh, perfect our practice we have uh, worked with um, a lot of reading at home and um well, uh, something else we have we have done is uh, to open new civic spaces. Uh, we have used the, our networks to convene people around some topics because the debates that have re, uh, been opened around some issues, uh, we're addressing them, making the most out of uh, virtual tools we have. We use Zoom calls. We use. You know, whatever we have at, at hand, uh, Skype, the, the phone, <laughs> people has seem, seem to forgot the, the, the phone, but we, we do a lot of phone calls with our colleagues. And what also we have resorted to our networks, we are part of the GPAC network. And for instance, some colleagues in Chiapas called us and said they needed a mediation because they were having an internal conflict. In their organization and what we what we did was actually first to recognize that we could not travel at because at the moment mexico city is under lockdown or at least uh some of us are the ones we who have the privilege to do so so um what we did was to call the people we know in chiapas and to lead them to the to the service because it's not about who gets to who gets the contract but it's who gets to help someone else. So uh, as part of the network, we have been boosting these mechanisms and we have also been reflecting on the COVID-19 outbreak and its implications. In July, we're going to have a a forum about this and we have convened three different uh, networks to reflect and share their experience around what they're doing to address the outbreak because I think no one has a right answer to this. No one has the one and only way or fashion to tackle this this issue. So we have uh, been very reflective on this and we'd like to just continue sharing with whatever it is that other people is doing to create civic space because the challenge ahead is is very big, but I'm pretty sure we'll overcome it together. Yeah, uh, amazing, Daniel. I think that, yes, I, I would like to, to reflect on, on, on your response because I think it was very on point. I think that strengthening your own team is the first step needed so that the, that team can continue effectively contributing and working efficiently. 
also how you seek for novel ways to continue working with the new virtual conditions, boosting networking mechanisms, sharing experiences and applying peer learning techniques, if we might say. So it seems to me that you are very much on the right track and I wish you all the success in these interesting and promising projects. And uh, I would uh, finally w would like to, to know if you have an inspiring and hopeful story to share with our listeners looking at the responses of COVID-19. I think we do. And maybe Fran, you can compliment. But um, well, something that we say, we teach sometimes a uh, conflict approach, uh, conflict transformation, peaceful conflict transformation basis workshops. And something that we always say is that crisis sparks opportunity. Crisis always sparks and gets the best of us because it is only when we see the when we're in the dark that we can see the light right so uh what we have actually been doing is see this as an opportunity to see in new stakeholders to talk with new with different actors to get in touch with different dynamics in which we can uh, work or continue working in peace building we have resorted to as i said previously to different different spaces or different networks. We have, for instance, uh, one of our colleagues working in a, in a space with uh, youth, and he has been working very actively for the ratification of uh, the Escazú Agreement, which calls for access to environmental justice. And we got in touch with a community or a, well, a, a network of their teenagers. <laughs> they go from, well, 17 to 24 years old and They're very active and they use Facebook, they use WhatsApp, they use their mobile phones to make, to try to impact their communities. And we have been active in, in such a space or we have, we're establishing how can new solidarity, new solidarity actions take place. Um, also, we have seen that other networks in which we collaborate uh, are turning to their communities. Uh, I think something really inspiring for us ha has been to see how some organizations that were originally just devoted to nature conservancy, nature conservation, are turning to the communities because they have reckoned that without the people to care for the environment, there is no use for the environment to be just, just led behind. So uh, we have seen that, for instance, these, these organizations have become very interested in how they can help their communities, how they can help the people who have lost their jobs, how they can help the people who have no access to uh, basic services. And it's very interesting how they have changed their range of action and the ways they in get involved with communities. I think the bottom line is we have seen that to sustain peace, we need to find new ways of working and to include and build local capacities for peace because it's not, I think the outbreak has taught us that there is no organization that will just come and fix the problems for, the, for any given community. It's the communities who need to be empowered to build, um, to build peace at, a, at the most local level. I don't know, Fran, if you have anything else to add to this. Uh, thank you, Danny. No, I, agree. I agree with everything you say. I think now the question is uh, is how can we um, maintain these new solidarity gestures after the pandemic?
or the actions that uh, are, are emerging from the, the society helping others. How are we, are we going to maintain them? Yeah, and how are we going to continue to create, to build local capacities in order to maintain peace? Thank you. Thank you both. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, Francisca, for these inspiring stories. I, very interesting how you keep in touch with these youth communities and support them with your own expertise so that they themselves, they can impact their communities by their own means, like using social media and taking care of the environment by broadening their, their own platforms. So I like very much the powerful message about the communities and how they are the ones called to make the positive changes. Also reflecting on the how that is very important. How are we going to continue developing these capacities of the community? So thank you very much, Francisca and Daniel, for, for joining us today, for sharing with our listeners your exciting personal and professional stories and the impressive work of the Centro de Colaboración Cívica in Mexico. We wish you all the best and keep the good work going on. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to be here. And uh, well, keep up the good work, Peace Corner. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Peace Corner podcast. We amplify the voices that pursue a sustainable peace, especially now in the face of a pandemic. Keep reimagining a better world with us. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you might be listening.